When I used to dream about going to college, this is the way I always pictured it. What, like it's hard? You need to forget about all the normal rules that apply to both college and society. Woohoo! I'm a college man! We're going streaking through the quad and into the gymnasium! Well, let's get those nerds! Welcome to Pop Culture University, Episode 3. My name is Andrew. And I'm Josh. Thanks for being with us. We hope you enjoyed our last episode on Steve Martin. We reviewed The Lonely Guy, and we had such a good time doing it. As we mentioned in our first two episodes, we're kicking off this new comedy podcast with a series of movie reviews from stand-up comedians like Richard Pryor, Steve Martin. We'll have a few other ones as well. And we decided that we liked doing The Lonely Guy a lot, so we thought we'd keep the Steve Martin train going a little bit. We're going to do another Steve Martin movie. And then our next episode, we'll move on to a different comedian. But for this one, Three Amigos. But before we review Three Amigos, in case you haven't followed us yet on Facebook or following us on Twitter, please go do that. You can find us at on Twitter at Pop University P1. P is in pop. So Pop University P1. You can also find us on Facebook at Pop U with Josh and Drew. And if you want to listen to older episodes, all the major platforms have us. That includes iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and we may even be on Stitcher. So, Josh, what do you think about all that? I think it's great, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You ready to get started? Let's do this. All right. So, three amigos. Your asses have just been streamlined. The three amigos are history. A man named El Guapo is threatening our very lives. People of Santo Poco, you were very foolish to try to stop El Guapo. Well, you scum-sucking pig. Who are you? You take 50 men with me, find these three gringos, Open their stomachs, grab their intestines, and squeeze their... They're going to kill us. (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing in Mexico? It's three out-of-work silent movie actors are accidentally drawn to a Mexican village that is being harassed by a gang of outlaws. The three, Ned, Lucky Day, and Dusty Bottoms, play Lone Ranger types in their movies, but must play their parts for real now. And there you go. That's that's your synopsis. Pretty uh, pretty thin plot, but that's good for but, this kind of. But uh, humor ensues, so it's okay. Uh, this was a twenty-five million dollar budget film in '86, and it grossed about almost 40 million so it made its money back and then some not a huge hit and not technically a blockbuster right isn't a blockbuster like you have to make twice the money back or those are there's some kind of loose definition of that yeah i'm not quite sure what the definition for a blockbuster is but no this would definitely not have been considered a blockbuster then or now and honestly this movie got some pretty mixed reviews when it came out and a lot of people didn't like it. What did you think about Three Amigos? Have you watched it recently? Let me ask you to start there. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I, you know, I didn't have to watch it recently just because I've seen it so much. But 
rewatching it again, I think it definitely holds up. Um, it's a bizarre um, mix of uh, the. It's not really. It's not what I would call '80s because it takes place in 1916, right? So it's hard to be like that's so '80s. But um, just I mean, you Chevy Chase is really the guy that stands out as someone who was on top and it isn't now. You know, you still see Steve Martin everywhere. You still see Martin Short everywhere too. But Chevy Chase, just because of his terrible reputation, he's probably even worse than Charles Grodin. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> Re- referencing our last podcast. Yeah, um, not not well liked. He has a terrible reputation. I mean, anybody who ever talks about him says he's just a complete, total jerk. It makes you wonder why he was able to last as long as he did then. Yeah, I know, I know. I guess because maybe when you get onto that fame train... You can take the attitude of I'm so great and people just go, okay, yeah, you are. You're making a lot of people money. After a while, it catches up to you and then people just start going, I'm not working with that guy. There's no point. And then if you make bad, you know, start making bad, worse movies, maybe. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if you don't, if you don't make money and you're a jerk, people are going to abandon you real quick. But man, some of his movies are really, like, he started off. With he was pretty, on fire. Well, I was going to say the. I mean, like, what? I mean, you have Caddyshack. Caddyshack was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, Fletch, big. Big. National Lampoon's Vacation, big. Yeah, big. So okay, so there's three pretty big ones. Those are pretty big ones. But he had a lot of duds mixed in too, man. A lot of them. Seems like old times with him and Goldie Hawn. Yeah, foul. Play. I guess that was actually that might have actually been considered a hit. I'd have to look that one up. It's it's obscure now, but foul play wasn't that a bust? Foul play, yeah. He had a, a modern modern time modern modern problems. modern problems. Sorry, terrible modern movie. Problems. Terrible movie. Don't confuse that with modern times. No, no, that's no, the that's classic not, film yes, with Charlie no, Chaplin. No, no, modern times definitely should not be associated with modern problems. Sorry, Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> man, that just was a big mistake. Just kicking the man in his grave, Josh. I know, I know. Gosh. But yeah, you're right. You're right. He had a few, like like all actors do, you know. But he, for someone who had that, at least you know now we know he was probably not the nicest guy. For someone who was like that, he had a, he had a good run of it. Yeah, but I, I guess it maybe makes you wonder, like, how many people in Hollywood are just big a holes, and like maybe he just like that, just like that, and maybe he is bigger than most, but he's also more famous than most. So like. Right. Those a-hole stories probably get more widely distributed and disseminated, whereas if you're just an, an average, ordinary actor that's also a jerk, then maybe they, those things don't get blown up as much because who cares? But like with Chevy Chase, yeah. it's like, oh, Chevy Chase, guess what he did? The the uh, the common thread, the common denominator is Chevy Chase, <laughs> clearly. Sometimes that comes across in his films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he kind of got what he deserved. I mean, he did end up on the show Community. You know, that show Community, which I have not really watched all that much. But uh, there are stories of him being a complete jerk there, too. And then he ended up leaving the show. Yeah. Um, so so apart from Chevy Chase, though, you have Steve Martin. And Steve Martin, actually one of the co-screenwriters. And Martin Short's very first 
leading role film, right? Yeah, he seemed like out of the blue. I remember thinking like, "Who's that?" I mean, re- I was like, "He's really funny," but um, I was like, "Who is that?" And I guess obviously he was on SCTV, you know, the Canadian version of Saturday Night Live. He did th- characters like Ed Grimley. He had, had he already been on Saturday Night Live because remember he had a stint on there. Wasn't that before that? I think he was. I think he had been. He was on there during the Harry Shearer, Christopher Guest era because I always think of that. Yeah, which, which is lesser known era of Saturday Night Live, so yeah. I didn't which, know it either, right? Which an, so. another another topic for another day has got to yep. be has got to be that era of Saturday Night Live that had Harry Shearer, Christopher Guest, Julie Louis Dreyfus, Joe Piscopo, Anthony Michael Hall, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, now, what a obviously, obviously there was some overlap there, but yeah, all those great actors, and it's some of the worst seasons of that show's history. And they are bad. They're almost, they are you, they are as unwatchable as they were probably at the time. I've tried to go back and force myself to watch them, and they're bad. They're so bad the audience isn't even laughing. It's like Mm-mm. dead air. So anyway, so you have those two guys. So Steve Martin co-wrote this with John Landis and Randy Newman, which actually he did, co-wrote it with Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels. That's what I meant. Not 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 John Landis. Sorry. But uh, Randy Lauren Newman. Michaels. Yeah. Let's let's start. Randy Newman. <laughs> How does that happen? How, how does Randy Newman become a, a co-screenwriter in this film? Do you know a story behind that? Uh, I don't, and I'm. It's got to be just because he knows so many people. Somehow, he must be friends with someone here. This is like another lonely guy situation, like the Neil. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Neil Simon, the Neil most Diamond. famous playwright of all time. Yeah, Neil Simon. Uh, Neil Diamond. I, I always um, get I always get Neil Simon, Neil Diamond, and Paul Simon conflated. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, they need someone needs to f- fix their name, or <laughs> so I don't have to remember. Yeah, Neil Simon. So it's the same probably type of thing where Randy Newman's just in the room with a bunch of people he knows, and they start the, chatting about stuff. He probably came up with music, right? The music, and then they were like, "Hey, do you want to help write it or something like that?" I don't know. I, well, I, there's a the the Roger Ebert review. Makes an offhand comment. By the way, Roger Ebert did not think fondly of this film, which Shocker. adds to adds to my case about was Roger Ebert really all that great? But anyway, that's a story for another day. Josh is Josh is like I can tell you I can tell you're glaring at me as I say that. But uh, the um, what I was going to say is one of those offhand comments that he makes is that this felt like it was written over the weekend. <laughs> you know, in an in an apartment somewhere, you know, all these guys got together and just threw out jokes, and he, he says it. He says it in a negative way, but I think that's kind of the genius of the film and what makes it work. And so it's very possible Randy Newman just happened to be there as well. And it's like, oh well, Randy Newman's here. Okay, well let's just you know, let's just see what we can do. And you get Steve yeah. Martin, Lauren Michaels, and Randy Newman together on a weekend, and they come out with this movie. Um, Although this movie had origins going back to 1980 because Steve Martin had talked about it in interviews where he mentioned he called it Three Caballeros, which for anybody who's a fan of Disney animation obviously knows that there was a cartoon from the 60s or 50s maybe called Three Caballeros that's very similar to this. But anyway, um, so it had its origins going back that far and originally I think he wanted John Belushi to be in it as well. So yet another film that may have had the great John Belushi before his life was tragically cut short because Ghostbusters is another one of those. Yeah. Uh, 
<clears throat> but anyway, so yeah, they, they put this together and they get John Landis to direct, which is a John Landis. I want, I want your thoughts on John Landis because you could make a case that between 77, 76 and 86, John Landis was maybe the top comedy director of that time. You have Animal House, Trading Places, Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London. He directed um, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Thriller, Kentucky Fried Movie, uh, Three Amigos. Uh, I mean, of course, Twilight Zone, but that's not really a comedy. Did you mention Blues Brothers? I, don't, I mentioned, yeah, yeah, I mentioned Blues Brothers. Yeah, on top. So, he's on fire. I mean, like that's a pretty that's a pretty strong run. Yeah, it is. You know, is he as big as John Hughes of the '80s? No, I don't think so. Or as big as if you're if you're ranking your top comedy directors from the '80s, I think you have to put John Hughes ahead of John Landis. You probably have to put even Rob Reiner ahead of John Landis, but. Does is John Landis right underneath those two guys, or is there anybody else? I would I'm forgetting? say so. That's 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 a pretty good run. Yeah, I'm trying to think of forgetting anybody. I can't think of anybody, but um, I mean, I guess the Zucker brothers, but I wouldn't put them quite on that level. Yeah, yeah, they and they only did a airplane, really Top Secret, hand. Naked Gun, big hits. I mean, they had they had a run of it. I mean, they would be they would be below John Landis that, though, because yeah. they weren't as. I think they would be below them. Yeah. So anyway. Um, yeah, so John Landis, and of course, this is John Landis. I think was either in the midst of his. What what, what was he? Oh well, there was negligence. I'm not negligence, sure the official um, charge. Involuntary but, uh, manslaughter. From his Twilight Zone. I think it was involuntary manslaughter. Yeah, his, yeah, his Twilight Zone segment, the movie, The Twilight Zone. There was four directors. He was one of them, and there was an accident where a helicopter. There's footage of it too, although it's not it's not really gruesome necessarily, but. You see the helicopter falling down, and one of the main actors, his name was Vic Morrow. Uh, Vic Morrow, and he was decapitated. And so that was obviously two Vietnamese children too. Yeah, just oh, ter- it's awful. Yeah, terrible. So, so he was that, that probably started the decline of his career, I would guess, just because it would take up so much time, and you know, and then he never. I don't. Even, I don't think he ever really recovered after that. I don't. So. I don't either. This was his last big movie for a long time. I mean, he did Beverly Hills Cop yeah. three a few years later, but that but was, that was that not was, good. No, that wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> nice review. <laughs> nice encapsulation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. That's all that. Um, that's all. But that yeah, matters. so, so yeah, this movie starts off with a pretty funny premise, actually. So these three silent movie actors are getting fired because they're basically asking you know their studio for more money uh, because they've had a pretty good string of hits um, and they think they're entitled although their last film did bomb what was it called um, what, those, those darn amigos. amigos that ended up that took place in Manhattan um, that one was a bust so they probably didn't pick the right time to ask for more money um, even though they had some hits with amigos 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 and Little Nettie Goes to War and, you know, a bunch of other classics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Flugelman, who's the head of the studio, he fires them. And they're out on the streets, but uh, as with their run of luck, they get a telegram almost instantly from walking out of the studio or getting thrown out of the studio that invites them to do what they think is a personal appearance in a little town called Santa Poco. Which is in Mexico. Santa Poco. What I've always had a hard time saying Santa Poco because Santa is the female 
is that female Spanish words have female and male gender, and so it should be Santo Poco. But anyway, uh, Josh and I are both from Texas, so we we can we can we can pick nits when it comes to strike it, strike, strike it. it. We we know the terms going in. <laughs> waiting for Guffman fans out waiting. there. Waiting for Guffman. So anyway, so uh, they go to Santa Poco, and turns out it's not a per- personal appearance. It's actually a real fight that they're being drawn into, and they chicken out. They run, and then they have a change of heart, and they come back to Santa Poco to uh, to fight off. El Guapo and the Mexican uh, outlaws that are harassing the, the small little village of Santa Poco. Mm-hmm. And do you remember how much they offer them? They offer them 100,000 pesos, right? 100,000 pesos to come to Santa Poco, put on show, right? Infamous? <laughs> Infamous? Um, I don't think it's any uh, surprise to just, these guys are not very smart. So they don't they don't figure out that they're in the middle of an actual battle with which is the part of the charm guys. and the way that they it's almost God, I even hate going here because it sounds so such a lame argument but it's almost like a commentary on Hollywood actors in a way because they're they're dumb in that way that they're they've been isolated <laughs> in Hollywood yeah. so they don't know about real danger you know so when they go here. They think it's fake, and they're just they they're ha- like when they start putting on the show for for El Guapo, and they're like dancing around. It's like really funny. Um, You're right; they're completely narcissistic and in their own little bubble, and don't have a clue about the real world, and think everything is about the world revolves around them. Yeah. And when something bad happens, it's how it affects. They're very selfish in that way. They it's 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 not. They don't really care about the town. They don't really care about the village as much as they care about themselves. <laughs> and the money. You know? And the money, yeah. Because they start uh, out yeah. wanting more money. 100,000 pesos translates to a few hundred bucks, I think. Yeah. So they think they're getting 100,000 pesos. And there's even a funny scene where they're talking about how they're going to spend it. And they're, you know. Yeah. One of them, I think it's Dusty, is talking about going to Paris for a little while and living it up. And yeah, then in the background, like, you can hear like the music of like Paris. It's real funny. And then Steve Martin's character is like he wants to buy a shiny silver car to drive around and just be awesome and a big shot. They want to be a, a big shot. They want to show Flugelman a thing or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's a really funny scene. There's so like. Tell me some of your favorite scenes. What are some of your favorite moments in this movie? Because there are so many to choose from. Um, just the scene I was describing where they they show up in front of El Guapo and his gang and they still think it's just a show. Mm-hmm. And the, like that that's a really funny scene. Uh, just the way that they're doing their show. Like it cuts to them <laughs> <laughs> kind of looking into the camera like breaking that fourth wall. like And they're like, ah! It's like really weird, but but in a good way. Um, the, you mentioned the scene where they're talking about what they're going to do with the money. That's also funny because uh, Martin Short says he's the last one to say what he's going to use the money for, and he says he wants to build a, a shelter for homeless children. And then oh, they they're feel, like, oh, well, after they feel they're like oh, I mean, after yeah, <laughs> after that, I would buy a shiny silver car. So that's really funny. Um, 
you know, the yeah. classic scene where they're around the campfire, which they have to have a campfire scene just to this type of film, you know, sort of is a kickback to some of those old uh, TV shows and films where it would be like, you know, cowboys around a campfire and then they sing. And then in the movie, they are around a campfire and they sing this really great song written by Randy Newman. Those are some great scenes right there. Just three right there. That's So for those who don't know, Josh and I had a previous podcast called Deharmonizing where we broke down different uh, films, music. We can't talk about it a lot because of the pending lawsuit, but <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Just... But anyway, if you want, if you if you want to go find, um, no, he's serious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to go, if you want to go find some of our old episodes, they're archived under Deharmonizing, and there's about thirty-one or thirty-two episodes where we've talked about all kinds of different things. But anyway, we do a Steve Martin breakdown where we go through his entire career and we talked about three amigos very briefly in that podcast josh i don't know if you remember but you mentioned that the campfire scene was your favorite was your favorite scene yeah that makes sense and it and it's pretty it's pretty classic don't you still up there yeah oh you're not gonna see a scene like that in a movie these days are you it's just it's just why because it would be such a uh, departure from modern day for a lot of people. They wouldn't. I mean, any millennial would be like, "What is going on right now?" Like they wouldn't even know what that is. Yeah. So, like the scenes to me that stand out the most, um, the one you the the one that you named where they're where they realize it, in the second performance, not the first performance, where they well, actually that one's a good one too, where they actually. Uh, put on the show that they think they're doing and they scare off the three outlaws. But the second time, this time when El Guapo and uh, Jefe, which um, El Guapo, for those who don't know, means the handsome one. And El Jefe means, Josh, you know what El Jefe means? The boss. The boss, which is weird. Those probably should be flipped. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, they come back a second time and this time... El Guapo means business, and so he tries to shoot shoot one of them, and then that's when they find out that it's real. I love that scene. And then the other scene that I really like is the bar scene, the cantina scene, when they show up and do My Little Buttercup. Oh, that one, that's so funny. My Little Buttercup. And then they're trying to get the audience involved, as any entertainer <laughs> would do. Right. And they're in, scared. like, this, this mean... Mexican bar, everyone's like, smile. Like, they're like, they're almost kind of, the patrons are almost frightened by what's going on. <laughs> like, they have no clue. From the minute they walk in and they're trying to order a beer, and yeah. uh, and they think that the bartender recognizes them from films, and then Steve Martin's like, he's like, I, uh, you know, I just, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and then, and then they, uh, they tell Dusty to go over to the piano, and as, as he's walking, Going over that piano over there, <laughs> and as he's walking, he's like, "I, I really, it's been, I really shouldn't. It's been such a long time." As he's walking <laughs> to the piano, he's gonna do it, but he's just like, you know, trying to stay humble. Chevy Chase, like, okay, so he may be a jerk in real life, but he takes some pretty hard criticism from critics about his performance in this movie. That they they say he's way too subdued, and he looks disinterested, and he looks bored half the time, but. My argument or my counter to that would be that you can't be playing it big. You know, you can't be drinking your play at Big Juice along with Steve Martin and Martin Short. There's just too much scenery chewing going on between those two, plus yeah. El Guapo. It's, yeah. um, Given somebody Chase, has to. 
Somebody has to be the somebody has to sort of take a be step the back, do you think? Or just or to or to sort of well, yeah, but I mean to sort of not be so over the top. I mean, Steve Martin and Martin Short are very over the top in this movie. And you can't have three somebody has to be the straight man. I mean, it's a it's that's a movie cliche, but you have to have somebody who's a little bit more reserved, right? Am I wrong? Yeah. And what is so you've got three comedy actors and they all have their own type of comedy and so you've got martin short who's basically a genius you've got steve martin who was also a genius i don't know if you'd call chevy chase a genius but he he had at least up until that point his own brand of comedy which was basically the the bumbling guy because remember he did the fall on saturday night live and he was like a really clumsy dad on, you know, Lampoon's movie, National Lampoon's movie, Vacation, and um, what could he do? Because he, he couldn't fall back on that here. Like, that's not because that wasn't part of the film. So my guess is there's two things about that. Pro- they're prob- the, the critics are probably sort of right because they could see him just given his reputation. You know what I'm saying? Being like, hey, I want to be the star. But having to take a step back, he's like, okay, what do I do? And then he can't fall back on, literally, he can't fall, can't do the fall or anything. So what does he do, you know? And then those two things together, maybe a little bit of his ego, maybe a little bit of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then that's whatever happens comes out. But he, I think he does a good job being subtle, you know? I mean, it was kind of, it's kind of nice to see, and, and hopefully he took it in a positive way. Who the hell knows? But, you know, I think explain, it works. Explain why he literally can't take falls anymore. Explain that. Oh, um, I actually don't know the story behind that. I assume because he hurt himself probably a million times, but you might know better than me. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why. it's He'd had uh, severe back problems starting, you know, stemming from that Saturday Night Live season where he did a lot of falls. He took and, some pretty nasty spills on that show, so. Yeah, if you go back and watch those, I mean, those are all real falls. I mean, he's, yeah, he's falling off ladders. Uh, you know, there's no trick photography going into that. I'm sure the, the, the floor may have been a little bit more cushioned. But probably not. It's probably just probably like a hard not. floor. I mean, I mean if you're, you're making those kinds of falls, you're going to have pain issues. So he got addicted to painkillers around that time. And... Uh, this is around the time where he was either he had just entered rehab or he had just gotten out of rehab. I think he actually went to rehab after the filming of this film. This is and a then, comedy podcast, right? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm bringing everybody down. We got a little bit into. I mean, you know, uh, we kind of need to know a little bit of backstory. Uh, it's not addiction. But anyway, not funny. so that's uh, that's. But anyway, my point, I guess, was that's why he wasn't doing pratfalls as much because he physically couldn't do them anymore. Yeah, and he's a physical comedic actor, so once you take that away, can he can he do it, you know? And the question is, yeah, he can, but I think people were like, "Eh, it looks like he doesn't care." Maybe I don't know if that was and I think if you know, if you watch some of his later films, Christmas Vacation comes to mind. There are some pretty involved stunts in those films, but if you watch it closely, you can tell it's not him. Yeah, right. I mean, right. It's the, there's a lot of weird cuts almost that cut to the stunt <laughs> stuntman. Like make it from behind, so we make, make sure yeah, a lot see. of it's, yeah. So the very even some very simple stunts are not him, but uh, um, so the, so yeah, so they 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 uh, they find their way to the Mexican outlaws village, and it's right in the middle of a a birthday party for El Guapo, which we haven't talked about. Um, El Guapo much. Uh, his name is Alfonso 
Arau. Arau. He's actually a film director. Yeah, and he was in Romancing the Stone, and he would pop up from time to time in 80s movies. He's really funny. Uh, he's really funny in this movie too. But yeah, um, he does a good job. So they they wind up in this part at this party birthday party, and they're the three amigos are trying to infiltrate it and rescue Carmen, who is the woman who hired them to, at the beginning of the film. And they do rescue her, and they end up leaving the party barely by the skin of their teeth and head back to Santa Poco, where they where they have their big final stand. Which to you, which, which in your opinion is more unrealistic? Ned being able to fly the Tubman 601 from the Outlaws compound all the way to Santa Poco without any flying experience, or him winning that quick draw against the German with a much heavier gun. So he may say he's that fast, but he's not that he wasn't that he couldn't have been that fast. Uh, say the more realistic scene would be the flying scene because he does say he flew one before. Oh, he Remember? flew it and little Nettie goes to war. Yeah, so the okay, more unrealistic, okay. you know... <laughs> I think he, he dies. It's, it's a, <laughs> he, he probably died in that scene. I don't think he but makes it, it past a, the German. It is a funny scene, though, because when he shoots it, it's so powerful. He goes <laughs> flying back like real far in a real weird way, and then yeah. he ends up you know, throwing the gun up or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'd say that scene is probably more unrealistic than the first. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm going to go for. Okay, a couple other questions I had while watching this. So what do you think happens to Goldsmith Pictures and Flugelman after the Migos were fired? I mean, weren't... I know that their last movie was kind of a dud, but don't they say kind of that they're basically carrying the studio and weren't the Three Migos their main franchise? Yeah, you know, I mean, if they decide that they're not going to work with them anymore, I think Goldsmith Pictures... Do they fold up? I say they fold... Well, I say they go on for a little bit longer trying to pin their hopes and dreams on, like, quote, up-and-coming stars, but those stars end up fading, and then that big studio just folds. Do you think they rehire the Amigos when they come back? I think they try, but then the three Amigos decide... They've learned lessons along the way, and mm-hmm. they're going to open their own studio. That's what Ooh. I think is going to happen. Oh, okay, so I have something that I think you're going to like. I have an idea for a sequel. Ooh, okay. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. All right, so here's my idea for a Three Amigos sequel. I'm still working on the title, but it's either called Amigos on the Run or it's called Amigos y Mas Problemas. Our darn Amigos head back to Hollywood and form their own production company, like you just said, with Lucky Day basically becoming the Harry Flugelman and Dusty and Ned are his assistants. But after a couple bombs... And financial (laughs) financial mismanagement, they are forced to file for Chapter 11. They find themselves once again on the streets. However, one morning they wake up and Ned has vanished. At first, they assume that Ned has headed back to Santa Poco. But after some clever sleuthing, they discover that he's been kidnapped and is being held captive at El Guapo's brother's compound near Santa Poco. So here's what would happen. They would, they would have to go back <laughs> to rescue Ned this time. And it would still be El Guapo, the actor. What was his name? Tony, what, what's his name? Alfonso. Alfonso. It would be Alfonso uh, playing the brother. 
and they would have to go back to that same compound and it would be the it would be the same compound but it would but the brother would be running it i know that he doesn't have a brother <laughs> yeah but so they go back to rescue ned and then you know i don't know hilarity ensues hilarity ensues that's that is really creative do you think so yeah it took me almost yeah, five I, minutes I, to I, come I, up with that i could easily see it i'm surprised that they didn't do a sequel but i guess that probably has to do with the fact that it didn't make a ton of money yeah, nowadays, if a Three Amigos came out tomorrow, they're There'd making it. They're 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 working on the sequel as soon as it Wraps finishes up. production. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay, so if you're re, if you're recasting Three Amigos today, who's in it? Well, we uh, on the on the last episode we came up with some comedic actors. Uh, I would put Steve Carell in it. Okay, I like it. I feel like you got to have some diversity in there. Yeah, I would say that would be... Could you get Kevin Hart to play one of them, maybe? Ooh, yeah. Kevin Hart would be really good in that. Okay, so Carell, Kevin Hart. Uh, maybe Paul Rudd. That would be good. Paul Rudd would be great in that. I, you know, I you love need, that. You need people who can improvise. Yeah. For this type of I movie. was thinking the same thing, and I was thinking someone like Will Ferrell, but that's kind of an obvious one. I like kind of going a little bit That's more. an obvious one, yeah. I think Kevin Hart would really. I think you're right about that, and I think he would. I think he would do well in it. I think he would. I think he could play the Ned part. Yes. And then. Yeah, which is which is one of the best parts. Yeah, too. and then you have Carell maybe playing the Steve Martin part, the Lucky Day part, and Definitely then you have Steve Paul Martin. Rudd yeah. playing Dusty Bottoms, and then you could get so like for El Guapo, you could get. I'm thinking Javier Bardem. Ooh man, now that's good. I feel like he could do comedy. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. I think he could. Okay, well that sounds good. All right, so um, any closing thoughts on Three Amigos? I think it's a great film. Um, I think it does hold up. I think it's a one of those films that can many years can go by and no one's thinking about it, but when when it comes back up, it it reminds anyone who's seen it that hey, it's it's still classic. It's yeah, totally. It's got a fresh factor to it. It feels it doesn't feel in the same way that Lonely Guy feels completely dated. The Three Amigos doesn't feel dated, and I don't know if that's because maybe it takes place in an old era. You know, it takes place. That probably helps. Um, but that's not. But I don't think that's the reason. I, I think that's part of the reason, maybe. But I think the reason is I think it's the jokes are. It's funny. I mean, it's the the comedy holds up. Maybe it's more. Yeah. Maybe it's because it had a you know fairly decent budget, so it was able to sort of you know make sure those kinds of things were done well. But I have a surprise for you. Uh oh. What's gonna happen? I have a I have a game. I have a game I want you to play. Okay. Alright, I'm ready. Always ready. I don't the problem is I don't have a good title. So okay. I'm calling it. I'm calling it Who's Steve Is It Anyway? Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. excited about Who's this. Steve Is It Anyway? <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright, so here's how this is gonna work. I'm going to give you a clue. And you have to okay. tell me if it's Steve Martin or a different Steve, okay? So, for okay. example, for example, if I said um, this Steve was born in Waco and ended up working in a magic shop at Disneyland, you would say Steve Martin. Very good. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you know uh, you know how to play. Okay. So. Um, you have your game buzzer, right? Yep. Okay. So when you know the answer, that's right. You'll do your game buzzer. And we'll go ahead and get rolling. This Steve 
had many successful comedies in the 80s that culminated with a film that also starred Tom Selleck and Ted Danson. And then he more or less disappeared. Steve Gutenberg. Very good, Josh. Very good. Very good. All right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. This Steve has an often mispronounced last name and has frequently popped up in Coen Brother films as well as Tarantino films. Uh, often mispronounced. I don't know if I understand the question. This Steve has been in Coen Brother films as well as Tarantino films. Ah. Uh, Steve Buscemi. Very good, very good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is, I can't wait till the consolation prize. <laughs> and you actually didn't. You mispronounced his last name. It's Buscemi. It's Buscemi. Yeah, I would say Buscemi. All right. Yeah. My bad. All right. This Steve appeared in such '70s classics as The Muppet Movie and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Steve Martin. Very good, very good. You're really good at this, Josh. Good job. Thank you, thank you. Okay, you having fun? Uh, this is awesome. I'm having a great time, Andrew. <laughs> like that's the guest of the show. All right, this Steve has many finishing moves, which include the pile driver, the axe handle drop, and the mud hole stomp. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Very good, very good, very good. Uh, Little hint, though, uh, in case you needed it, I was going to give it to you. He's not from Austin. Did you know that? But he is from Texas. Yeah, I, I, I remember him being from Texas, but I never, even though his name was Austin, I didn't think of yeah, it as Austin. I know. Um, all right. This Steve uh, basically remade a much funnier version of The Lonely Guy in 2005 and also played Brick Tamlin in The Anchorman. Steve Carell. Very good. Very good. Yay. All right. I am cleaning up. It means I'm not making my questions hard enough. All right. This final question. Final question. This Steve has directed many short films before becoming a pretty successful filmmaker. Some of his short films included Amblin, Slipstream, Firelight, and The Last Gun. Steven Spielberg. Very good, Josh. Very good. I feel really accomplished this Sunday. <laughs> All right, you win. You win. I win the satisfaction of winning the game. <laughs> and you win free episodes of Pop Culture University's podcast. Oh, well, that's yeah. totally worth it. Let's yeah. Do, let's, do, let's do that again. Yeah, okay. Good. Uh, uh, now, now it's time for determining whether or not the Three Amigos belongs in the Pop Culture University Hall of Fame or the Pop Culture University Hall of Shame. Now, just to sort of clarify how this works, we've revert, we've reviewed two films so far, uh, Superman 3, as well as The Lonely Guy in our last episode, and neither film was in the Hall of Shame. They didn't quite score low enough. I'd say, I think we decided, what, an F? Or maybe a D minus would put you in the Hall of Shame. Something like that, I think. Yeah. And I think, and I think, what's our what's our metric for the Hall of Fame? Does it need to at least be a B plus? I think a B plus. So B plus or an A puts it in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or do we just say A? Or is it? Is, we, we could just, we could be strict. strict. I mean, we could say F, 
is shame and A is fame. Let's do that. Let's do that. I think that's better. Yeah, that makes it a little bit more coveted to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Because, you know, if we crowd it with too many films or too many artists or bands or whatever, then it it becomes, it doesn't become all that special. Right. right? And the other criteria, here's the tough criteria. We both have to give it a high enough grade for it to be in the Hall of Fame. Ooh, yeah. That's a toughie. So, for example, if you give it a B minus and I give it an A plus... It doesn't make it. Oh, okay. All you know right. What I'm saying. All right. Well, okay. We I mean, this is it. we're talking. We're talking cream of the crop. We've got some stick to itiveness, really? so I guess we're gonna have to. <laughs> we're gonna have to do that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, we'll start with you, Josh. Okay. Uh, what's your what does uh, does three amigos make the grade? Okay. So, um, I wouldn't put it as like the top 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 comedy film. Probably because there is not a lot of depth to it. Sometimes comedy films can be so genius and so funny, but yet have some depth to it. I think those would probably be more in the top comedy film. So uh, I, I would dock at some points from that. I'll, but then you have some really good comedic performances from the main actors and even the uh, uh, supporting actors. Um, you've got some really good musical numbers in it, um, and it does stand the test of time in my judgment, so I'm going to give it a B. A B. A B. Josh, you and I are so similar, it's scary. Oh! Now, man, we're on on a roll these last couple episodes. I know. We're we're in sync. We should, we should... <laughs> we should we should remind people that uh, you and I have known each other for going on forty years, so that could be some of it. That's probably some of it, yeah, yeah. yeah Many different discussions. Those... We've probably how many times do you think we've discussed all the topics we talk about? Probably twenty thousand <laughs> times. <laughs> probably, yeah. The hours and hours and hours. Hours. Uh, I love this movie. I do, and it's hard, and it's a classic, and it's one of those movies that I can. It's a great cable movie. Yeah. It's a great movie that when you catch it on TV that you can just pick it up at any point. You don't really have to know what happened before. You can start it in the middle and it's watchable to the very end. And and I say that because I've done that a million times with this movie. After rewatching it a couple days ago, I was reminded how fresh it still is and how funny it still is. However, there are some boring parts that are, you know, sometimes you're kind of like, ah, yeah. Um, not. I wouldn't call them headachey, but um, it does drag in some pl- places. Some of the jokes. Some of the jokes do fall flat. It's it's firmly in that B category, mm-hmm. and the performances they do they are a little bit inconsistent at times. So I'm giving it a B plus. I'm giving it a B plus. Okay. All right. So yeah, it's I, in it's the B not zone. Quite there. It is not. The, so it is not pop university Hall of Fame material. It's not really pop university material. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, hang on. Uh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, oh, no, it's it's not. It's close, but it's just not quite there yep. yet. But uh, hey, but, but, comedy classics can still get a B and still be a classic. I'm still yeah. I'm still saying it's a classic. It's just not Hall of Fame. So um, let us know if you agree or disagree. 
And I tell you what, let's ask a question of the audience. And we want you to submit your answer to this. Who is your favorite amigo of the three and why? And we'll read your answers on our next episode. So who is your favorite amigo and why? Um, and Josh, why don't you start us? Who's your favorite amigo? Uh, Ned Niederlander. He always has been. Ever, ever since mm. I thought, saw it in the theater. Why? Uh, I think, well, one, probably was because I didn't know who Martin Short was. So there was such a surprise performance that this guy, and, and he wasn't unknown to a lot of people, but he was to me. So the fact that he was able to keep up, I thought, impressed me even as a kid. Uh, so he exceeded your expectations. Definitely. So that helps because exceeding my expectations, you know, it's always stuck with me. It's like, wow, you 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 can go head to head with these more. And he and the Chevy Chase and Steve Martin were more famous than than Martin Short at the time. He was mm-hmm. well known, but he but they were more famous and more successful. So being able to go head to head with that and basically almost kill him in that respect, yeah. But favorite one, Ned Niederlander. Played by Martin Short. Played by Martin Short. You heard it here first. first. My favorite, my favorite would be Lucky Day, Steve Martin, because every time, I I mean, his, I think his jokes land a lot more than Ned and Chevy Chase's. Ned, so Martin Short, I don't dislike him, and I, this is kind of helps, this is part of also what drags it down to a B, and this is going to probably hurt you, Josh, but He's over the top, and I know that that's his goal to be over the top. But sometimes it's a little bit much, hmm. just a little Andrew, bit does much. Doesn't respect Martin Short's performance. Mm-mm. <laughs> uh, respect it is actually the perfect word for it. Respect it because I can say respect it, and it's kind of a, a it's kind of a covert way of saying I didn't really yeah. love it. I can just say I, I respect res- it. I respect, you what, respect he did. what he did, but you don't you still but don't really like it all that there's much. A, there's a big old butt right after that. Okay. No, I, I do like it. Big I do old like butt. it. <laughs> now I'm gonna give us a B minus pretty soon. <laughs> that bad quality. Oh, what are we doing anyway? But anyway, yeah, he's good. He's, uh, Real gross. he's he just sometimes it's like okay, it's a little bit much, um, but. Uh, it doesn't ruin, doesn't really take away enough of the movie to not make it uh, a clear classic. So my favorite is Lucky Day. Had, I think he had some of the better jokes, some of the funnier one-liners, which may have been, uh, which may have been deliberate since he wrote it. But having, but you know, that's neither here nor there. The fact is, it just works. Let us know who your favorite is. You can direct messages at Pop University P One, which is our Twitter handle. You can uh, also send us a message on Facebook if you're not into the email thing. But if you do want to email us, email us at popu with Josh and Drew at gmail.com. Let us know your favorite amigo. Uh, last question, Josh. Out of all the movies that the amigos made, which one would, would be the one that you would want to see the most? Out of those darn amigos, 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 amigos. I can just tell you, actually. Amigos, mm-hmm. amigos, amigos. I think it's, I think it's a, a clever like plot I think it's a clever plot you know the suits like they have other people dress it so it's like it tricks the enemy I know that those darn amigos was a dud but I kind of think it'd be kind of see, fun to see them maybe it'll be a cult classic maybe not a dud yeah. but a cult classic what was the plot of, of those darn amigos what was it uh, like they were three Spanish 
landowners or three, I don't know, I can't remember what it was, but it, I think those darn Amigos probably holds up better nowadays than maybe it did at the time. Maybe it, maybe it was ahead of yeah. its time. Could be. But anyway, um, thanks for listening to our Pop University podcast, and we'll see you next time. Class dismissed. Yep. Class.